So I was telling Brother Marty before class, we, we've, we've been dealing with some technology issues here of late at Heritage, and, and that's, it will not steal my joy. Amen. It will not steal my joy. So uh, for those of you who are wondering what happened to the first part of the class, amen, I apologize for not turning the microphone on. And what we said was really good, but I'm not going to try to go back and re-say it. So amen. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about the Word of God tonight. And, and I really want you to be encouraged and to be excited. Satan has tried your whole life to keep you from really laying hold of the Word and, and really you know, making God's Word a priority in your life and giving His Word the place uh, in your life that it deserves. So we're talking about the Word of Reconciliation. We get this out of 2 Corinthians 5 where the Bible says we've been reconciled to God and we've been so thoroughly reconciled to God that we've now been given the ministry of reconciliation, which means He wants to use you and me in seeing other people reconciled to Himself. And to be reconciled to God means to be reestablished in oneness and fellowship with Him. To be reestablished in oneness and fellowship with Him. And we see that the two branches of the ministry of reconciliation involve using the Word of God as a, as a tool to, to share the good news of salvation with people so that they can hear it and, and believe it and be born again. But then we also see that using the Word of God is also critical in the second branch of the ministry of reconciliation, which is discipleship. Remember, it takes a disciple to make a disciple. And, and the Word of God is so important there because it's back to that example of what you believe you have in the bank and then comes the statement from the bank and you have to reconcile your bank account, which means you have to believe what you think. You, you have to bring what you think into alignment and agreement with what is true, what you actually have. And so it's, it's one thing to be a born-again man or woman, but it's another thing to think like a born-again man or woman. It's one thing to, to be made a new creation in Christ Jesus, but it's another thing altogether to think like a new creation in Christ Jesus. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of men and women who've been born again who still think like somebody who hasn't been. And because, you know, they think like somebody who hasn't been, they still for the most part live like someone who hasn't been. doesn't mean they're not saved. doesn't mean they won't be in heaven. But it does mean that they're missing out on a lot of the good things in their lives that Father God wanted, wants them to have an experience and paid a high price for us to have an experience. And so, you know, that there's a lot of things that, that I love to do in, in ministry. And, but, you know, one of the big ones for me that I feel like that, that, that Father God has, you know, it would be like a, a general practitioner, you know, a doctor, so to speak, but then somebody who specializes in a certain area. And, and if, if I specialize in any area, if there's one thing that's really God, I think, has put on my heart more than anything else, is to help his people come to the knowledge of the truth so that all that belongs to them inwardly can be enjoyed and experienced in them outwardly. I see so many of God's people who are living so far beneath their privilege, so far beneath their birthright, so far beneath what belongs to them, so far beneath who they are. Amen. And, and so that's a, that's a really, really big deal for me. Uh, there are things that Jesus bled to death naked on a cross to give to people that he can't even get a lot of his ministers to even talk about from a pulpit. And that makes me sad, and, and sometimes I feel compelled to apologize to, to those of you listening to me right now who were raised in church, grew up in church, and you're hearing me say things from the Bible that have never, nobody's ever explained to you, nobody's ever presented to you. And, and that's, that's, that's really sad. It, it really, really is. And, but praise God, that's, that's what's behind us, and, and there's something different ahead of us now. Amen? Amen? And we're going after it. Praise God. Praise God. And so we find this, it, it, it all comes back to the Word of God. Obviously, it all comes back to God, but... But, you know, what God has spoken to you and me, He has spoken with our best interest in mind. What He has revealed to us, what He has demonstrated for us in the life and person of His Son, are all for you and me to look to, to learn from, 
And I don't know if this is the right, if I'm butchering this example, please forgive me, but it's, it's like, you know, back in the day before GPS and all that, you know, people could get in a, in a boat and sail across the world and they use the stars to, to navigate, you know. And it's my understanding it's like the North Star is the one that you, that you want to find and, and basically kind of all other maneuvers, you know, it's, or it will be like a compass, you know, that, that what paints, is it always point north? Is that right? I guess, okay. And so God's Word is, there's all those I believe are like natural physical examples of what God's Word is because, you know, there, there's so many different opinions and so many different philosophies and so many different ideas and, and concepts and we talked a little bit last week about this whole new thing, my truth, you know, like it's, it's true for me if it's not true for you. No, if it's truth, it's true for everybody. Amen. And so where can we find that, that compass? Where can we find that North Star? Where, where can we find some anchor point in, in our lives that, that we can grab hold of and, and, and cling to and use to, to navigate? You know, it's, it's one thing for a, a pilot to fly a plane when he can see the ground. But it's another thing altogether for, for a pilot to be able to, to fly an airplane when he or she can't see anything but the instruments in front of them, right? And those instruments in front are, are what, you know, inform that, that pilot's choices and, and, and how to get from point A to point B safely. And so God's Word is like that instrument plant panel. And we can't go by the way things look, seem, and feel because the way things look, seem, and feel are easily manipulated by the enemy. And if we live our lives based upon the way things look, seem, and feel because what we see and how things look and how things feel can be manipulated, we can be manipulated. But if, if we just stay with what God says, amen, what does the Word say? And, and, and let that be our you know, compass, our instrument panel, our North Star, so to speak. Then, then he can get us to where we're supposed to be in life. Amen? All right. So let's do a little bit of review. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so we said last week that Jesus is the word made flesh, which means he's a living and breathing expression of the divine intelligence. Jesus is the mind of God captured and living and breathing and functioning among us in human form. One of my favorite quotes from Dr. Bill Winston, truth is the highest form of reality. Truth is the highest form of reality. And so the further away we get from the truth, guess what we're getting further away from? Reality, right? God, yes, but, but reality. And, and so the further we get away from reality, what's real, what's true, the more susceptible, the more open, the more vulnerable we are to deception, to, to the lies of, of Satan. Okay? So truth is the highest form of reality, and we know that God's Word is truth. Bill Johnson says Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is perfect theology. I'm often asked, you know, where, where should I start in, in reading and studying the Word of God? Well, you know, as in everything, be led by the Holy Spirit. But when I'm asked that question, I normally recommend that someone start in the book of John, the gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all foretell the story of Jesus, but John was the closest disciple to Jesus, perhaps closest to Jesus than any other human being, maybe with the exception of, of his mother Mary. And 
John had an understanding and had things revealed to him that other people did not. And so if you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that John tells the same story, but it tells it from a complete, much more different perspective even than Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. Okay, Then I would recommend you go to the four epistles. When I say the four, they're called minor epistles, but just because they're brief books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And to give you kind of an overview, we'll probably talk about some of this more in the days ahead. But the Gospels tell us what Jesus did for us, okay? But the epistles, that's everything that comes after the book of Acts. The epistles, the letters from the apostles, tell us why he did it and what it now means to you and me, okay? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us what Jesus did for us. Obviously contain the teachings of Jesus, extremely important. So I'm obviously giving some real broad strokes here, some real general information here about these things. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, again, are going to tell you what Jesus did for you. We take for granted that we understand why Jesus did what he did for us, you know, but if it weren't for the epistles, we would not know a lot of what we know and understand about why he did it, but also what it means to you personally, what it means to you individually, okay? So the Gospel of John, then the Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel of John, and then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Those books are very, very brief, five, six chapters each, but there's a lot in there, and there's a rhythm in those epistles. They always begin first and foremost, like, for instance, the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is six chapters. The first three chapters are describing to you what salvation has done for you, what Jesus has done for you, what Jesus has given to you. And, and then only after that has been well established does he begin to give us instructions on how we should live and, and what we should do in life and, and, and commandments, if you will, on, on effective living. And so, again, that's, that's significant. Because in the church world today, we're fed a steady diet of commandments. We're, we're given a lot of preaching and teaching on what we should do and how we should do it and what's going to happen to us if we don't. But we're not given enough of the front end of who we are in Christ and who we became the day we became a new creation in Christ, which provides the foundation and the ability for us to, to then go forth and, and fulfill the, the, the ways of, of doing and living and being who God created us to be. Amen? All right, so we said the simple question you should ask for everything that has anything to do with you. What does the Word say? Man, if you're going to just remember like one thing to do, I would just recommend you to remember this, okay? When you find yourself in a situation in life, what does the Word say? What does the Word say? 10,000 times, what does the Word say? And if you don't know what it says, find somebody who does. Amen. Somebody that you trust who does. Amen. And I'll be happy to help you with that at, at any point, okay? Now, let's do this. You may not understand the Bible. The Bible understands you. It's the only book that'll ever, that you'll ever read that will read you back. And remember, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So what I mean by you may not understand the Bible, but the Bible understands you. You may not know why you do the things that you do, but the Bible does. <laughs> In other words, the answers that we're looking for, even to those types of questions, are found and revealed in the Word of God. We'll talk more about this later, but Proverbs 4 and 22 even speaks of the Word of God being health to your flesh physical health to your flesh. Proverbs 4 and 22, I put it in this form in my notes, but I'll just go ahead and show it up there anyway. Proverbs 4, 22, speaking of the Word of God, it says, words of God said that they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. So, you know, there's a saying you, you may have heard, an apple a day keeps a doctor away. And, you know, there's something to that. There's some vitamins and, and fiber and things in apple that apples that are good for us. But even on a greater level, the Word of God is not just for our spiritual nourishment. It's not just for our mental and emotional well-being. But the Word of God contains within it 
literally uh, physical, bodily health properties that, so he said, I don't know, Pastor Mark, you really, well, just, just start, start taking a chapter a day. Amen. You know, say a chapter a day, it'll keep, it'll keep more than the ignorance and the devil away. It, it'll keep, it, it has all kinds of health and life-giving properties in it. Now, so let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Sec, I said Corinthians, I'm sorry. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Holy Spirit's helping me. I have spent many hours today on a message that I'm going to be delivering tonight that I am in the evening service here that I am over the top excited about. And, and so anyway, I've I, trying to get back focused here and the Lord's helping me. Praise God. But amen. God is good. Is he not? Is he good or, or is he not? He's good. Amen. All right. So I want to, again, teaching systematically laying some groundwork and some foundation. And, and so I want to teach you some things tonight about the word of God and, and about our proper response to it. Okay. So second Timothy chapter three, verses 16 and 17, it says this, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, and again, that's male and female, he created them, okay? The man of God may be complete, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, okay? So all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Inspiration is literally God-breathed, and you may have thought about this before, maybe not, but it's impossible for you or me to speak without releasing our breath when we do, without releasing breath when we do, and the same is true when God speaks. So when God speaks, He releases His breath, and if you remember the breath that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam is literally what gave him life. God formed Adam from the dust to the ground with his own hands and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and, and Adam became a living being. Literal translation is he became a speaking spirit. So the life of God, the breath of God, so all scripture is God breathed. It's given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. Now he's going to give us a, some different areas that it's profitable in and profitable for. But before we go any further, before we go any further, it's profitable. The word of God is profitable. But you think about what he's saying there. Amen. If you've ever owned a business or understand business, you know, people are in business to, to, for a profit. Amen. We don't go into business to lose money. Amen. So when we talk about something being profitable, we're talking about something that will produce positive results, that will produce gain in, in different ways in your life. So the word, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is God breathed and it's profitable. It's beneficial. It's good for doctrine. Doctrine simply means sound teaching, systems of teaching. So, you know, there's different things. Like, for instance, there's the doctrine of discipleship, which just simply means all the Bible has to say about discipleship. There's a doctrine of righteousness. We've already talked about it a lot. We're going to talk about it a lot more in the days ahead. It's just a system of teaching in the Bible for, you know, what the Bible has to say about righteousness. Now, it's also profitable for reproof. So reproof means to identify an error. Reproof means to, to reveal something that's, that's, that's not right, something that's, that's incorrect. And that could be in our thinking. That could be in our emotions, that could be in our words, and it could be in our actions and our behavior, okay? So the Word of God has the ability to show us when and where we're wrong. Now, I know that 
we don't like to talk about that, but we all have room to grow in, in these areas. We all have rooms to, you know, room to improve. And, and I don't I mean just, you know, use some little trite saying from the world. Okay. Let me, let me see if I can say it this way. In the past, I have been wrong and thought I was right. And I don't ever want to be there again. Amen. I never want to be in a position where I think I'm right and I'm wrong. Okay. This is why we said last week, we've got to give God's word the, the place of overriding supremacy in our lives. And if God says it's wrong, there's no need to agree with him and agree with him quickly. There's no need to argue with him. There's no need to tell him what the world is, is doing and how people view it today. And also, No, just agree with God and agree with him quickly. And, and let his word identify areas in our lives that, that, need, that, that need to change, that are wrong. So notice, though, the same... The same word inspired by God to identify areas in our lives where we're wrong also is profitable to correct those things. So it's not just that the Bible shows you where you're wrong. The Bible will identify areas in our lives where things aren't correct, aren't right, aren't in alignment, but it also will bring the truth into our lives. And remember, it's living and powerful, which means it has the ability, the power literally within the Word of God to, to make the correction. Okay, And then for instruction in righteousness. This is important. We'll come back to this when we get on the subject of righteousness. But notice he's not saying to make you right. It, it's kind of like, you know, you get some new gadget in your home or maybe you get a new car. And have y'all figured out by now the new cars, you, you almost have to have like a degree in engineering to, I, I mean, it's like, what in the world? I mean, all, all these, you know, I'm just, all these features and this and that, right? So you have what? You have, an ins, you have an instruction booklet, right, to help you function in what you have but don't even really know how to operate or how to use. So... It's only the blood of Jesus that can make you righteous. But now the Word of God gives us, it's like the instruction manual for the righteousness that we've been made, the righteousness that we've been given. So it's instruction in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay. Now, there's a couple of things I want to dig into a little deeper here. But before I do that, I'm, I'm 56 years old. Some of you in here may be a little older than me, some younger, probably most younger. Okay. Anybody remember computers back in, you know, the three processor days? Anybody? Okay. Yeah. I actually, this may sound funny to you. Anybody remember Radio Shack? There used to be this store called Radio Shack. Yeah. And, and Radio Shack actually was a leader in personal computers. And I had the ultra-powerful Tandy 1000. Amen. Okay. And now, this is all before Windows. This is all pre-Windows. Okay. And this is, you know, DOS and BASIC. And, you know, for me, it was just a glorified word processor, to be honest with you. Okay. I like to be able to correct my typing errors. And so, but as computers developed, they started developing these things called viruses, computer viruses, right? And my brother's way more advanced in these things. He's an electrical engineer. He's way more advanced in all these things, you know. And I was having issues with my computer. And he goes, oh, you got a virus. And I'm like, a virus? In my comp- what is this, you know? Now, we hear that term now. You know, people aren't surprised by hearing that at all. But back in the, in the day, that was kind of an odd thing. It was a new thing, okay. And, and not only was the virus in the computer new, the antivirus software was also kind of a new thing. And, and so my brother said, I, I can fix that for you. I'll, I'll bring something home from, from work and, and, and fix that. Okay. So he brings the floppy drive. Anybody remember those, right? Okay, yeah. So he brings this floppy drive home that's got you know, his handwriting antivirus on there. 
And I'm like, so what is this going to do? He goes, I'm going to put this in your computer. It's going to go in there and find the virus. I said, okay, what are we going to do then? He goes, oh, it's going to find the virus, and then it's going to fix the virus. And I am like getting all this revelation from the Word of God, right? Because that's what the Word of God, they stole that from God. Right? That's what, the word, that's what the Word of God does. The Word of God finds what's broken. It doesn't just identify. It's not like it just fixes over your screen. Okay, this is the problem you got. No, it finds it and fixes it. And so a steady diet of the Word of God will be constantly revealing things in our lives that are not correct, but it'll also correct those things and, and bring our thoughts and thinking into alignment with the Word of God. So this word for inspiration, it's, it's, a, it's a big word. I'm going to put all this up on the screen. You don't have to know this, but I just want you to get some ideas. So the word inspiration is the word theonustus, okay? And of course, theos equals God. New pneuma is speaking of a dynamic movement of air, okay? And so this inspiration, theonustus, it's, it's, it means God breathed, all right? Now, one of my favorite Bible teachers on planet earth is a guy named Rick Renner, Rick Renner, okay? And it's Dr. Rick Renner, and he is a brilliant, brilliant man who breaks down the original language of the Bible, specifically the Greek language in the Bible, and does like devotions and writes books, and his teaching is based off of that. I know some of you listening to me right now, you don't have access to technology, but when you get access to technology for free, he will send you something to your inbox every morning. It's what he calls a sparkling gem from the Greek, meaning he'll take a word, he'll break it down and do like a Bible study, brief devotion on it, okay? And so this is from Rick Renner, and I'm going to put it on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you at the same time. Number one, because I want to introduce you to Rick Renner, and I want you to take advantage of the resource that he is and the gift that he is to the body of Christ. But also, he does such a fabulous job with this particular word that I think you will, amen, be blessed by it. So let's, let's take a minute here. Praise God. All right. Thank you, Jesus, for all this wonderful technology that you blessed us with, Father. All right. Amen. I was sitting right there looking at it. Amen. All right. Thank you, Jesus. So the guys have been coming on Sunday. They weren't able to come this Sunday. I get in the pulpit and I have no sermon notes on my iPad, no sermon notes on the back computer, no sermon notes on the screen. And I'm like, are you kidding me, right? So, I mean, I can preach and do it all the time without sermon notes, but when you work hours and hours and hours putting together things for people, you want to be able to present it to them. All right, here we go. So from Rick Renner, the, don't, this isn't a bedtime story, okay? Don't go to sleep on me, all right? So, but this is, I think you'll be really fascinated by this, all right? So the root nu communicates a dynamic movement of air. For example, it can mean to blow as to blow air. It was actually used to portray a mu- musician who blew air through an instrument to produce a musical sound. There are also places where it's used to picture the emitting of a fragrance. Furthermore, this root word could be used to depict the projection of emotions. So the word theonustus is the picture of God breathing his own substance into something. Just as a musician would blow on an instrument to produce a distinct sound, God mightily moved on those who wrote the scriptures, causing them to temporarily become instruments through whom he expressed his heart and will. They were writers They were the writers, but God was the great musician who breathed upon them, his instruments. Thus, the Bible is God's message delivered through human writers to us. And just as the word pneuma can carry the idea of a fragrance, the word was breathed from God and thus carries his very essence and fragrance within it. Since the word pneuma can also portray the projection of emotions, we know that God projected the totality of his emotions 
attitudes into the Word when He inspired its writing. Therefore, the Word not only conveys an intellectual message, but it has God's heart in it as well. And the pneuma of God didn't, and the pneuma of God didn't create the Scripture and then depart from it. This power, the same pneuma power that originally created and continues to sustain the universe, is still inside God's Word, upholding and empowering it to be just as strong as the day it was given. That stirs me up right there. Praise God. And listen, there's a lot that we're going to do tonight, but I'll just go ahead and tell you, I, I hope that you leave here tonight more excited about, more in love with, more determined than you've ever been in your life to, to, to be a word man, to be a word woman, praise God. All right, so when it says that, that the man of God, the woman of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work, this word equipped means competent, proficient, skilled, and capable. I like that, okay? So equipped for every good work, competent for every good work, proficient for every good work, skilled to do every good work, and capable for every good work. Amen. So this is the power that resides within the Word of God. So as we've said before, the new birth qualifies you for the ministry of reconciliation, but it's the Word of God that makes you competent, proficient, skilled, and capable to do the ministry of reconciliation. Okay? I'm going to kind of be silly because I don't think anybody would be here anyway. But, you know, what would I have to tell you tonight that would help you if I couldn't use anything from the Word of God? You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, you know, I can tell you stories about my childhood, I guess. You know, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, what? You know, in other words, you see what I'm saying? In other words, what, what we're doing here is all around the Word of God, all around what God has said to us and provided for us. The only thing that makes me competent to help you is the Word of God. The only thing that makes me proficient or skilled or even capable to help anybody in their walk with God and and to experience salvation and then to experience the, the inward realities of the new birth becoming outward expressions of life is the Word of God. Amen. There's, there's nothing that I have of my own ability. There's no you know, secret that I have. There's no persuasion that I have. There's, there's no secret or mystery or some hidden ability that I have apart from the Word of God. Amen. To, to do what I do and what I've been called to do to help people, number one, be reestablished in oneness and fellowship with God, and then learn how to walk that out in their daily lives. So simply put, we cannot do the ministry of reconciliation without the word of reconciliation. And along those same lines, the more we know and understand the word of reconciliation, the more effective we will be in this ministry of reconciliation. All right. Now, we often talk about knowing the word, knowing the word of God, you know, and you, you can study the Word of God like you study a, a, a math or chemistry book or a literature book or, or what have you. But again, we've got to elevate the Word of God in a category above and beyond any of those types of volumes that we might study and, and gain knowledge or understanding from. And so when we say knowing the Bible or knowing the Word, that's really too vague for our discussion. And, and keep in mind, the people who murdered Jesus, they knew the Bible. Are you? The people who thought Jesus was the biggest fraud who ever put on a pair of sandals, okay, they knew the Bible. Some of them could quote the Bible. Some of them could quote it backwards. They couldn't just, you know, they could start at Genesis and go to Malachi. They could start the end of Malachi and go to Genesis. I mean, they knew it front, literally knew it frontwards and backwards, okay? But they didn't, they didn't know God. 
They didn't know Jesus. So we have to be careful just with a, with a mere intellectual approach to these things. And so when I, when I say we got to know the Bible or know the Word of God, what I'm really talking about here is learning two key things, all right? We must learn to rightly divide the Word of God, rightly divide the Word of God, and skillfully apply the Word of God. Rightly divide it, rightly divide it. If you can, if you can correctly, rightly divide something, you can also incorrectly divide it. And a lot of the frustration that people experience trying to understand and trying to grow can be traced back to teachers teaching them the Bible who do not know how to rightly divide it. Okay? We're going to talk about what that means, what that looks like. And, and with the Holy Spirit's help, I'm, I'm going to give you the tools to be able to, to be much better at rightly dividing the Word of God when you leave here tonight than you were before you got here. Okay? So we've got to learn how to rightly divide the Word of God. And then once we're able to rightly divide it, then we're in a position to skillfully apply it. Okay? Skillfully apply it. The difference is in the doing. It's not just in hearing these sayings of Jesus. Jesus said that if we just hear these sayings of mine but do not do them, we'll be like a man who built his house on the sand, and when the wind blew and the rain came and the floods, his house collapsed. But if we hear these sayings from Jesus and do them, he said we'll be like a man who built his house on the rock, and when the same wind and rain and floods came, it, it did not affect him. His, in other words, he was still standing when all of that blew through his life, so to speak. Okay? And so Jesus is emphasizing then that the difference is in the doing. But now watch this. It's, it's very difficult and, and very challenging to try and skillfully apply the word without first being able to rightly divide it. Amen. All right, so let's talk about that. But before we do that, let me give you this one verse. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. It says, study to show yourself approved unto God. Thyself, yourself, approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So this is not just something that I came up with. When I say we've got to learn how to rightly divide the word of God... He's, he's saying that this is an important instruction for every born-again believer. But remember, we're teaching these classes from the perspective of participating in the ministry that we've been given. Amen. Not just for our own benefit, but how to be better equipped as individual members of the body of Christ to do the ministry that we have been called to and been given. Amen. And so as those who have been called by God to participate in the work of the ministry, and specifically the ministry of reconciliation, we see that being able to rightly divide the word of truth is critical, studying, to show yourself approved unto God. I want you to see, am I going too fast? Some of me, I seem like y'all are like writing faster than human beings can write. Am I going too fast for you? Okay, all right, so I want, I want you to see a connection here. Remember the, the verse that we looked at, was it 316, where he's, he said instructions in righteousness, okay? So he's not saying to study the Bible to make yourself righteous. He's saying study the Bible so that you'll know how to live out the righteousness that you've already been made. Now I want you to see this again. He's not saying study to, to be approved by God. He didn't say study so God will approve of you, Amen. Some of you were raised in homes that your parents' approval of you seemed to rise and fall with your report cards, okay? All right? That's not, what God, that's not God. And don't let that mindset carry over into your understanding of this. He's not saying study and he'll approve of you. He's, he's saying study to reveal the approval 
that He's already given to you. Study to show yourself approved. So it's one thing to be approved by God. It's another thing for His approval of you to be evident for other people to see. Again, the reality of the new birth, God has given you. He has approved of you. Amen. You have been accepted by Him into the fellowship of His Son with Him. Amen. See, the world says you got to perform to be accepted. The world says you got to live up to these, these certain requirements to be accepted, okay? I've seen this before in my own extended family. It's one thing to make the cheerleading squad. It's another thing altogether to be accepted by the other cheerleaders. Am I right about it? You see what I'm saying, right? It's one thing to make. You can be first chair trumpet in the marching band, but that doesn't mean the, the band members all accept you. Okay, because acceptance seems to be something that, again, you know, has to be earned and, and, and according to our performance and, and uh, what we do for other people and so forth and so on. And so we carry that same mindset over with us into the kingdom and we think that God works that way. No, no, see, you're accepted in the beloved. Amen. You, you, you are in Christ and you are accepted by God the Father. But now notice what he's telling you, though. He's saying you've got to get in my word. You've got to study my word. You've got to learn how I think and begin to think the way I think so that the approval that I've already given to you can become an, an outward expression of your life reality and that people begin to recognize, man, that sister's approved of God. The favor of God is on her. Amen. And let me tell you what happens when people start recognizing and noticing that. People start coming to you, right, to ask you questions. People start coming to you because they want your, them to pray, you to pray for them or for you to tell them what seems to keep you, you know, level emotionally and, and, and full of joy and full of peace no matter what's going on around you, right? So again, study, he says, to reveal the approval you've already been given. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. We don't have to be ashamed. It's like, man, I just, People around me that need help, I don't know what to do. No, see, again, the devil's trying to pull you into shame. What the people around you need is someone who knows God, someone who knows what God says, and knows how to rightly divide what God has said and help them skillfully apply it Amen. to their lives, okay? Now, this word divide, it means exactly what you probably think it means. It means to cut or divide, okay? To handle correctly and skillfully. And so this is an important truth to understand, and it is also a critical skill to develop. Now, let's do this. Let's go to Hebrews 5. We mentioned this verse in the beginning, praise God. I hope those watching online didn't bow out on us when they couldn't hear me, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. God is good. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. All right. Y'all good? Everybody okay? Everybody still comfortable? Yes? Okay, so the extra sugar in the, in the upgraded snacks tonight didn't make anybody sleepy, did it? Okay. <laughs> All right. Nothing like a handful of Oreos and the Word of God. Amen. This is a cup of coffee. Praise God. All right. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. So, so I try to emphasize some of these. I call them scriptural addresses. I use this expression sometimes. You know, it's like... I knew exactly where my best friend in high school lived, but if you asked me the address of his house, I had no idea what his address was. And sometimes it's that way with me in scriptures. I know exactly where they are and what they say, but I don't know the, the, the chapter and number and that sort of thing, okay? So sometimes, especially these really important ones, I try to emphasize. So we got Hebrews 4.12, and now we got Hebrews 5.12, all right? So we had 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Timothy 2.15, 3.16, Again, numbers that hopefully will help, you know, categorize things in your mind. So now we've gone from Hebrews 4.12, now we're at Hebrews 5.12. It says this, for, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, 
for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Let's, let's use an, a, a physical, natural example of this first, all right? It's a pretty obvious answer, but what's, what's easier to prepare? A bowl of Cheerios or sausage, eggs, bacon, pancakes, hash browns. Well, I mean, it's, it's obvious that it's a lot easier just to get a box of cereal, pour it in a bowl, pour some milk in it, and start eating, okay? So it takes more time and effort to prepare a meal of solid food. Am I right about it? Okay, but now watch this. Which one requires more effort to consume or to eat? Again, we can just, you know, we can, you know, chew on the cereal, you know, doing whatever in the morning, just or grab a, a protein drink or something like that, you know, and guzzle it down, right? So notice it takes more time and effort to prepare the solid food, and it takes more time and effort to eat the solid food, as opposed to a lot less time and effort to prepare the milk-based meal, and a lot easier and less time and effort to consume it, right? Yes. And remember what the Bible said in the last days, people will not endure sound doctrine, and that they will seek out preachers and teachers who will tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear, hopefully in 15 minutes or less, with a lot of videos and lights and smoke and mirrors and stuff in, in there to keep everybody's attention. And I'm not, I'm not trying to diss on anybody, but I'm just saying, praise God. Amen. See, God's trying to get you on a diet that will sustain you in the place that He wants to take you. Amen. When it was time to go fight the giants, they came off the manna and got back on the meat and taters. Amen. 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 And so we see a classic example here of people who had been saved a long time. We don't know exactly how many years or how long, but what we do know is that by the time of this writing, they had been born again and in the church long enough to be teachers, to be participating in ministering to others. But instead of them doing that, they still needed somebody to teach them again. Don't teach again. So they've already been taught this once. So to me, this is not necessarily a, a correcting word to the teaching as much as it is a correcting word to the learner, right? Because the learner is obviously not engaged. The, the learner here is obviously, they're present, but they're not mixing faith. We're going to see this in, let's go back to chapter Hebrews 4, where they were hearing the word, but they weren't mixing faith. Faith without works is dead, so they weren't acting on the word. They weren't applying the word to their lives. And so they've stayed in this immature state, and now they still need someone to prepare them a bowl of oatmeal or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Uh, they're, they're still as spiritual babies. And I'm telling you, please, I'm not here. I'm not, I don't have an ax to grind. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not trying to talk down to anybody. I'm not trying to fuss at anybody. But this, this is so prevalent in the church today. This is, this is a real, real, real problem. Amen. And it's, and it's a problem that's affecting the, 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 the work of the ministry. It's, a, it's, it's affecting the body of Christ on many levels, on an individual level, on a, on a, a familial level, or as individual person, individual member of a family, and then you got the family that that person is a part of, and then you got the family of faith that those families are all part of. My, my grandmother, she's with Jesus now, but you know, she used to say like there's some need or some project, something need to be done. She, she was in this habit of saying, well, my mother's Brenda, and she'd say to Brenda, well, Brenda, let the church do it. Well, Brenda, won't you let the church do that? And finally one day my mother looked at her real confused, and she says, mother, who do you think the church is? That's us, right? We're the church. If, if we're not doing it, who is, Right? 
Okay, but watch this though. If, if the church is still needing somebody to put a bottle in their mouth, well then how ineffective as opposed to how effective are we actually being in the assignment that we have been given? Now, there's a, there's a key verse here, the key phrase in this verse 13. It says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unknowledgeable in the word of righteousness. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say they're not. It doesn't say they don't have knowledge. It says they don't have skill. They don't have skill. It's not that they don't, they don't have an understanding. And see, this is where you, you have to be careful here. Listen to me, please. And I, I'm saying this to myself first. You know, if I'm, I'm not going to, but if I was to point a finger to you, what's that old saying? Three fingers pointing back at me. So this is true for all of us. This, this is true for all of us. The Bible says that when we hear the Word of God, but never act on the Word of God, that we actually deceive ourselves and harden our own heart. Today, if you will hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart as in the days of provocation when they heard the Word of God, but they never responded to it. And what is very deceptive, what is very dangerous, is you can hear the Word of God and, and, and leave that encounter feeling better about yourself, feeling better about your situation, thinking, okay, it's, it's, it's going to be better, things are turning around. But if we never do anything different, if we never act on the Word, if we never try to begin to skillfully apply the Word of God and do what we've heard, right? We've, we've deceived ourselves and, and we've, 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 the hardness of the heart is, is like a callus, you know? Anybody play the guitar in here, you know? So you don't play the guitar. Oh, you got a question? I'm sorry. Praise God. I was on a roll there. Give it loud and clear. I'm quoting from Hebrews 4. I've just, I jumped from 412 to 512. So yes, sir. So he's talking about in, in the days of provocation was, was when God's people were in the, in the wilderness and they would hear the word, but they wouldn't respond to it. Matter of fact, they came, they came to a point where they just told Moses, they said, Moses, look, tell God not to speak to us directly anymore. If he wants us to know something, right, he can tell you and then you can tell us what we think you think we ought to hear. They didn't want to hear his voice anymore. My goodness gracious, that's, that's sad. But again, do you notice how many of God's people, God's children on the earth, they don't want to hear his voice, right? They just want somebody to tell them what they want to hear, tell them how good they're doing and blah, 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 and platitudes and what have you. And that doesn't mean that, you know, somebody should drop the hammer on you every time you go to church. But if, if we're not being stretched, if we're not being encouraged, if, if we're not being challenged, if a demand's not being placed on our potential, amen, something's wrong. Something's wrong. You do not need people to comfort you in your comfort zone. Amen. You need people to challenge you, to inspire you, to encourage you, to motivate you. Amen. To break out of the paper prison of your comfort zone and move in to the greater things that Father God has for you, for your family, and for the family of faith that you're a part of. It's very, very, very important. So notice all this comes back to not a lack of knowledge, but a lack of skill. Not a lack of knowledge, but a lack of skill. It doesn't say they weren't knowledgeable. It says they were unskilled. This is, again, a very important difference. So we, we need to, again, the right attitude towards the Word of God is that this is not just a, 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 a book of philosophy or a book of poetry or, or, or literature or what have you, but this is, this is God's Word speaking to us, His thoughts revealing His ways. His ways are different from the world's ways, different from mankind's ways. Amen? And, and so as we have more and more of His ways revealed to us, we begin to step out by faith, faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, and put those things into practice, right? Because faith without action, faith without a responding work or action to the Word of God is dormant or dead in our lives. Yes? Yes? Okay. So I'm wanting you to, I'm, I'm wanting you to see the, the bigger picture here of, of, of you know, what the Word of God is for, how we're to respond to it, and what will enable us to grow. Amen. What will enable us to grow? 
the, the, the absolute best recovery program for any life-controlling issue is to grow out of it. Amen. That's the ultimate answer, is to grow out of it. Think of all the things in our lives that we have outgrown. I don't just mean clothing, okay? Anybody was anybody a, a, a thumb sucker when you was a kid? You know, pacifier, you know, these things. We've outgrown those things. We've, we've matured and developed past them. I mean, there was a time, you may not remember it, but get, your, get somebody in your family to tell you about it. There was a time, some of you in this room, man, you didn't think you could ever live another day without a pacifier. I mean, my daughter named hers. I mean, it was, it was, it was her comfort. It was just, you know, and of course, she's old enough now. She's talking about it, right? And it's like, oh, man, you know, what in the world, okay? But she don't, she don't take a pacifier anymore. And, and I'm not trying to trivialize things that can be serious in our, in our lives, but, but again, let's just grow on past these things, right? Anybody outgrown something in your life that you used to think you couldn't live without? Some relationship you didn't think you could live without? Some situation that you didn't think you could live without? Some person? Some place that you didn't think you could live without? So, again, we just on and on and on and on, right? We look back on it, it's almost ridiculous. You know, why did I ever think I wanted that? Why did I ever think I couldn't make it without that? Why did I? Again, you've, you've outgrown it now. It looks silly for you to go back to it. it, 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 it it's not right. It don't, wouldn't even look right on you anymore. Okay? Yes? Okay. Would I, would I look silly if I came in here with a pacifier? No. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. All right. So it's as, as important as knowledge of the Word is, as important as hearing and knowing and listening and studying and reading, all those things are important, but they're, they're not an end to themselves. They are a means to a greater end. All the learning, all the teaching, all the reading, all the studying, all the meditating is designed to get the Word of God in our hearts, what's in our heart in abundance coming out of our mouths, reconditioning, renewing, resetting our minds, amen, and then acting upon what the Word says. And listen, I don't know when the last time you learned a new skill was, okay? Sometimes the older we get, the, the less enthused we are to learn and do new things. But with anything that you learn and do differently, especially if, it's, if you've done it one way most of your life, and now we're talking about doing it another way, there's something called a learning curve, which means when you first start to do it a different way, it's going to feel weird. It's going to, it's going to be awkward to you. And, and, and especially if you're in a pressure-filled situation, you're going to feel the urge to revert back to the way you used to do it. So you have to persist in. So the idea behind a learning curve is it seems like you're going uphill at first, but then if you can ever get past that learning curve now, it's like, why do we ever think the old way was the right way to do it? One of the great examples for me was I used to do everything by handwritten notes, not typewritten, handwritten notes. And I've got literally stacks of legal pads from notes throughout years and years and years of studying and scriptures and sermons and all this other stuff. And I, I knew that I needed to transfer over to digital, right? Because, man, if you could type it, then you can, you know, you just do so much more with it, cut and paste and search and file and organize. It's just so much more efficient, right? And so I would just commit, okay, I'm getting rid of the pen and paper. I'm going to a computer. And I'd do it for a little while and I'd go back. Because, again, it's a new skill, right? But listen to me. It's been so long since I have written you can't even hardly read my signature anymore. I mean, I don't hardly, I don't even bring a pen and paper to a meeting now. Amen. But there was a time in my life that I didn't feel like I could ever get past that, that, that initial learning curve of swapping over from one way of preparing sermons and classes and study and note taking to, to, you know, from the analog to the digital, right? Okay. And that may be silly, but 
But there's all kinds of things that are like that in our lives. But notice now, it's a skill. Are you following me? I learned to type in high school, so I didn't know how to do that. But it's, it's a skill and when we're, that we have to persist in to develop. And so that's, though, how we grow in the things of God. It's where we don't just look at the Word of God as information to learn or remember, but as skills to develop and ultimately master, with the Lord's help, obviously, in our lives. Amen? Did I spend too much time on that part? That's a critical part, though. That's a, that is a critical part. So let, let me, here's another example, okay? And I'm not trying to offend anybody. And as far as I'm concerned, every person in this room lifts your hands in worship, claps in worship, speaks in tongues. I, amen. I'm not, this isn't, if you think I'm picking on you, I, I have no idea. But I'm just, I'm going to try to show you something here though, right? See, we have this tendency to want to worship God the way we are comfortable worshiping Him. We have this tendency to, 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 you know, how about this one? This is very dangerous, okay? Worship God in our own way, okay? Who do you think you are, right? <laughs> to worship God in your own way. The, the Word of God tells us how God desires to be worshiped. He's the one who says to lift holy hands. He's the one that says to shout. He's the one that says to, to clap and dance and run and jump. And, you know, he's like, whoa, hold on a second, Pastor Mark. That's, that's not my personality. Well, maybe your personality has been your problem this whole time, right? Okay. But again, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to show you something here. Okay. Worship is, is certainly first and foremost comes from the heart. It's an attitude that recognizes who God is and who we are as it relates to who he is. Okay. But when we talk about worshiping God, these are, these are actually things that we practice. Amen. That we, that we do. Right. And so then God puts one of his servant leaders in front of us to lead us in worship. And that leader says, okay, I want everybody to bow your heads for a moment. And the dude, the dude in the back is like, you know. And then, you know, then he may say, okay, let's everybody, raise, let's, let's all lift our hands together now. And, you know, same deal. It's like, I don't do that. It's not me. See, what we don't realize, again, what we don't realize is that's actually rebellion. Again, we're trying to drop a hammer, right? But, you know, somebody that God has put in a position of leadership over us is, is being led by the Spirit and asking us to do something, and we're not going to do it, Okay. All right, but, 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 but not in addition to it being rebellion, I know that's strong, okay? But let me tell you what else it is. It's immaturity. It's, it's, it's a refusal to submit. And, and, and notice now, that is a skill. Worshiping God the way the scriptures instruct us to worship instead of how maybe we were raised or what we're comfortable with or how we've done it or in our own way or what have you. Again, it's those kinds of attitudes. It's those kinds. And you, I'm trying to just use something simple and what have you. And we could talk about tithing and giving and all that. I'm not trying to make you nervous about any of that stuff but again these are God's ways these are God's ways that he has instructed us and established for us and put in place for us in the scriptures amen it's one thing to know about it it's another thing to do it right amen are we going to bring it right are we going well you know tithing's part of the old testament that's one of my favorites right never mind that Jesus said you should tithe never mind that Jesus endorsed it never mind that that tithing was not the law it actually predated I mean it's, again I'm not here to teach and all that but notice again what people do they don't want to tithe and so they just again this is what the bible says do and so this is what they want to do and so they water the word down instead of let the word thank you Kim for reminding me of that but that's a classic example of that right but it's a skill. It's a skill. You say, well, I wasn't raised that way, Pastor Mark. Well, I'm sorry that you weren't raised that way. I'm thankful that I was, okay? But again, that's never too late to start. But this is where we grow. They, they didn't remain as spiritual babies because they didn't know anything. 
They remained as spiritual babies because they didn't do anything. They didn't put it into practice. They didn't, they didn't develop the skill, the pattern. God's a God of pattern. He wants you to learn His patterns. Because we're people of patterns. There's, there, we all fall into this rhythm of life and these patterns of doing things. I don't know what your routine is. None of my business. But we have an order to the way we even get ourselves presentable in the morning, right? Do you brush your teeth before you shower? Do you bathe your body first, then wash your hair? Do you wash your hair and then bathe? Words, we, again, when do you shave? Do you shave before or after, during the shower? Again, all these things, right? I'm not trying to be silly. I'm just trying to show you. We are people of pattern. We are people of routine. But God has patterns. God is a God of pattern, right? And He wants you to understand His patterns. He wants you to fall into His rhythm of life, doing things His way. Because that's where you're going to experience the growth. It's where you're going to experience the, the, the inner realities becoming outward expressions. It's where you're going to experience the, the prosperity, the peace, the joy. All of these things that, that come along with growth and development and, and maturing. Think, think about just when we talk about growth and development. Think about someone who is immature emotionally. So again, as a child, a toddler, I mean, the least little thing can just throw a toddler into a tailspin, right? But, you know, as we get older, we realize, okay, you know what? There's other toys in the toy box. I don't have, whatever, I'm just trying to show you. But, but, but think of how many of God's people on planet Earth today are being tormented with dominant negative emotions in their lives, right? Because they're as spiritual babes. See, so much of even the emotional things in our lives are the, the ultimate and final solution is we got to outgrow that immaturity. We got to outgrow that childishness. We got to outgrow thinking, understanding, and speaking like a child and acting like a child every time something doesn't go our way or every time somebody offends us or, or what have you. And see, these are things, listen to me, please. So many people, times people hear from Christianity, you know, you just need to hold your tongue. Well, we do need to hold our tongue. But guess what? You, you continue to grow up in the things of God. You won't, you won't be holding your tongue from cursing somebody or screaming or hollering or losing your temper, right? Instead, you'll actually recognize the spiritual warfare that's going on around you. Learn how to take authority over it in the name of Jesus. Learn how to forgive people who God loves and the devil's trying to use against you. It, it puts you in a completely different position from victim to victor. Amen. But see, this, this doesn't come just, you know, from sitting around here in the Bible. It comes from putting these things into practice in our lives and by reason of use. Notice what he says, solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use, reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Amen. I usually do not spend this much time on this right here, but for some reason the Holy Spirit has, has had us draw, you know, drive a stake in the ground stay here for a minute or two. But this is important. This is so important. Remember, th these classes aren't about becoming something you're not. God has already freely given you these things. His peace, His joy, His love, His wisdom, His literally the mind of Christ. All of these things, internal, external, healing for your body, financial prosperity in your life. All of these things, but we got to grow up into them. The Bible says this, and way ahead of myself, but we just stay here. If you're writing things down, write this down. It's Galatians 4 and 1. But the Bible says that the heir will differ nothing from a slave, though he be, she be, Lord of all. Okay? 
So what is he talking about there? He's talking about somebody that God has given these things to, but is still childish, still immature. And so they're not living like the rule, you know, royal priesthood, one who rules and reigns in life. Was it Romans 5, I think 17? But instead, their, their life reality is more like a slave when God's made them large and in charge. Amen. So there's so many things in our lives that you know, we, we look for all these answers and solutions to and, and shortcuts and, and even medications. I'm not trying to offend anybody. That you know, We look for all these answers when, when the ultimate answer, the long-term answer, listen, I don't tell people to take medicine. I don't tell people not to take it. That's between you and God. So don't, don't you hear me what I'm saying here, though. But God's got a better answer for our emotional distress than, than medication. Jesus bled to death naked on a cross so that we could live a life free of anxiety and depression. Amen. Praise God. I'm not trying to make you mad. I'm just trying to help you. Okay. So it doesn't say they didn't know about it. It didn't say they didn't know. It said they wouldn't do. They wouldn't do. All right. Now, we got about 10 minutes left, 15 minutes left. Can you, can you hang in here a little bit? What in the world? Has this, this been the fastest class yet? Okay. All right. For me too. Amen. All right. Let's talk in the time we have left about rightly dividing the Word of God. And again, 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Okay? Now, in 2 Corinthians, this is an excerpt from 2 Corinthians 4 and 2, it says, Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully. This is a real simple way of illustrating this, but the Bible says there is no God. But that would be handling the Word of God deceitfully. Because what the Bible actually says is the fool has said in his heart there is no God. So to handle it deceitfully would be to take things out of context and and use them in a way that suits what you desire but is ignoring what it is that God is actually trying to say, communicate, and ultimately do in our lives. Now, most of the error and resulting confusion in the body of Christ today can be traced back to incorrectly, not properly, not correctly dividing the Word of God. And along with the error and the confusion is the ineffectiveness. And who's behind this? Again, who benefits from you and me being ignorant and confused? God doesn't. You don't benefit from being ignorant and confused. The people who who love you don't benefit from you being ignorant and confused. God doesn't. The body of Christ doesn't. It's the devil. The devil's behind this, and we're going to expose him. Amen? Amen. So what I want to do is I want to equip you with the with understanding that you need to be able to rightly divide the Word of God for the rest of your life. That's, that's what we're hearing about in this section, okay? Now, before I go any further, the classic mistake made by many is they try to balance, I'll explain this in a moment, just hear me out, is they try to balance the Word of God instead of divide it. They try to balance it instead of divide it. So let me give you an example, okay? One week the pastor preaches on grace and the loving kindness of God and the mercy of God and it's just a, just a glorious sermon. You, 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 you know, people come to God, they're, it's just great, right? Then if that pastor's not careful, the next Sunday he wants to make sure he brings balance and so he's going to preach on the wrath of God and, and the judgment of God and, and the Lord gives and the Lord takes away and God is sovereign. You never know what God's going to do, right? So notice now, because he, he feels like that, you know, he's, he's preached one thing one week, but we don't want to give people the wrong impression, right? So, so now we've got we to balance what we said last week with something, you know, different this week, right? And sometimes these, these, these mistakes and these errors are made in good faith, okay? But they're still errors, and they still leave people lost and confused, all right? So if, 
the Word of God, 66 books of the Bible, if it's to be properly divided, where should we make the first cut? Okay, now I may sound like an odd question, but this, this is where I'm trying to get back down to the doing, okay? How, how do we do this? I mean, it sounds so spiritual. Rightly divide the Word of God. I'm going to go down to heritage, man. The heritage say rightly divide the Word of God. What does that mean? It literally means cutting one part away from the other. Not necessarily to get rid of one. That's by no means what we're saying. So some of you may think you know and just too embarrassed to shout it out. But the first major division is we've got to divide the old and the new. The old from the new. Now, people say, well, you know, we're not under the law. Well, the, the law came from God. And it's not, that the, it's not that the law is bad or wrong. Matter of fact, we the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul explained this to us. The problem with the law was not that the law was bad, is that we were bad. It's not that what God said we ought to do was not what we ought to do. It's just that what God said we ought to do, we didn't have the ability apart from Him to do it. So when, when you know, this, this new day that we live in and thank God for it, you know, people say we're not under the law anymore. Well, it's still wrong to murder somebody. But let me tell you what the law does not mean for you and me or the purpose that the law no longer serves for you and me. The law is still the law, but we are not right with God in the eyes of God through obedience to the law anymore. That's the, that's the thing we need to understand. The law is not our means of establishing righteousness with God. Nor is it what we have to do in order to be blessed by God. That was the old system. Jesus came and ushered in a new system. So let me give you a couple of examples here. One of the things we could say about the Old Testament or the old system was it existed for a lot of reasons. And one of those reasons was to show to you and me the power of sin. We get to this a little bit later down the road. We'll look at this, but... But when God gave the law through Moses, He gave that law to us to bring us to the conclusion that if God didn't help us, we were sunk and lost forever. Because there's no way we could ever obey those laws or make ourselves right before God in the eyes of God by our own performance. So I often say it this way, the, the Old Testament revealed to us the power of sin, but the New Testament revealed to you and me the power of love. One of the classic examples of, of this would be in the Old Testament, if you touched a leper, someone who had the disease of leprosy, in the Old Testament, if you touched someone who had leprosy, the leper would make you unclean. In the New Testament, if you touched a leper, you made the leper clean. Do you see the difference there? All right. Now, the law-based, performance-based approach was the, was the Old Testament. Today, we're under a grace-based, faith-based approach. Now, one of the great problems, listen to me now, one of the great problems, and we're going to deal with this off and on throughout the rest of our classes together, okay? But one of the great problems that we have, in, it, it, it was in the beginning of the church and it continues to persist to this day is this failure to shift from what we do to what has been done for us. Okay. See, in the Old Testament, it was about what you did for God and what you've done for him lately. In the New Testament, what we do for God is important, but our righteousness is not established based upon what we do. Our righteousness and right standing with God is established and based upon what's been done for us, what Jesus did for us as us as our representative. Okay. Now, Praise God, there's so much here. I'm trying to see what we got time for. Here, here's a classic example. When God established 
a covenant with his people through Moses. And to ratify that covenant, God instructed Moses to take a, a, a laver, a basin of animal blood, and he dipped a hyssop branch into that laver of animal blood. A hyssop branch almost looks like, would remind you of the antlers on a deer bef- while they still got the, the, the velvet on them. A hyssop branch had some nap or some texture to it. And so God instructed him to take the, the hyssop branch and dip it in the blood because the blood would, would kind of soak up into that coating on the hyssop branch. And then Moses went to the people and he took that hyssop branch and he flicked it like that. And it was, it was splattering the blood on the people. Okay, right? And he, as, as he did it, he said, this is the blood of the covenant, and it was it was hitting them externally, right? Now let's fast forward. Jesus is about to be crucified. He's having this final meal with his disciples, and he hands them a cup, and he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. I'm going to be silly here to make a point, right? This is the blood of the new covenant. Dip your fingers in it and splash it on the people sitting around you. Is that what he told them to do? No, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Drink it. Take it into yourself. What is that, what is that symbolizing? Why, why is that so significant? Under the old system, it was an outside to inside approach. Under the new system now, it's an inside to outside approach. In the old, it was about the external trying to bring conformity to the internal. Under the new system, it's about the God's work of salvation within us inwardly, now coming forth from us inwardly and transforming us outwardly. Amen. Amen. So, oh, sweet Jesus. I got time for one more. Matthew 17. Thank you, Lord. Pardon? It's not changing? Thank you, brother. Amen. All right. You know why it didn't change, right? I didn't change it. <laughs> but I thought I did, though, because I would have kept on those. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> I was like, oh, not again. Praise God. All right. Here we go. Matthew 17. Who's familiar with this? Peter answered, said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Where are they? Let me tell you where they are right quick. He called Peter, James, and John to himself. He goes up on the mountain, and Jesus is transfigured before them. Okay? And if I could just simplify what was taking place there, who he was inwardly in that moment... It's like God reached over if, 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 you know, you ever use like a dimming switch on lights, you know, it's like God reached over and turned uh, the volume up, so to speak, on, on who Jesus was inwardly, so much so that his spirit shined through his body with such intensity that they could barely look at him, okay? And in that moment, we see that Moses and Elijah were there conversing with Jesus and, and, and ministering to him, if you will. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And if you underline things in your Bible, underline, put lightning bolts around, somehow distinguish that last two words, hear him, hear him. Now what's going on here? What's going on here is you've got the, the, the prophet Elijah considered by some to be the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. And then you've got Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, through whom God not only used to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt, but, but we see that the, the law came through Moses. And so the Old Testament basically is comprised of the law, and it's comprised of the, the writings of the law and Moses 
and the prophets. Okay, so Moses and the prophets. Yes, notice what Father God is doing here. When, when Peter said, let's build a tabernacle for Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, God the Father corrected him quickly and said, no, no, no. This is my son. You hear him, and you hear him over and above Moses and the prophets. God is distinguishing. God is the one who set Jesus above even what we find in the Old Testament. So Jesus said things like, you have heard it said, but I say unto you in his, let's, let me, I keep, I don't want to stop. I got to stop. Let me try to stop. Okay. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. Jesus said, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, I'm not necessarily wanting to dig into the content of this. But what I'm wanting you to see, though, is when Jesus says you have heard it said to those of old that he was quoting Moses, he was quoting the commandments. Right. So is, is Jesus overriding that? Is Jesus saying that? that no, no. What, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is bringing clarity. Notice now. He, he's taking it from this outside to inside approach, right? To, from an inside to an outside approach. Because there were people who would look for these loopholes and marry a woman for a night and, and do these things so that they could, you know, quote unquote, you know, obey the commandment with their behavior, but their hearts far from God. So notice what Jesus is, is taking the emphasis on the outward behavior and placing it on the inward attitude. Just because you think you haven't broke this commandment because what, what was it our president said? I did not have sexual relations with that woman, right? Well, it's, just, it's the same attitude, right? I'm, I don't mean to make fun. I, I apologize for that. But, but, but it's, a, it's the same attitude, right? It's because he was saying that he did everything but one thing. And somehow that meant he didn't do anything. And that's the same attitude that, that, that these people had in Jesus' day. And Jesus is like, listen, we're going to tighten this up here. This, this, isn't, this isn't the correct way, right? So they heard it said from the Old Testament, but Jesus is replacing the emphasis on what God meant. Wasn't just trying to find some loophole around it, but what was the, the spirit, what was the, 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 the meaning of this and how it would affect us inwardly. Praise God. All right. Amen. It's probably a good thing that I've got another service after this or I might keep you longer tonight because I'm excited about all this. Are you getting anything out of this? Okay. All right. So I feel like we're kind of ending at an awkward spot, but we can jump back in here again. We will not have class next week, but on the 29th. So keep that in mind and we'll jump back in here, do a little review and try to try to dig right into this. But let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the, for the men and women in this room, those watching online. Father, thank you for helping us tonight. Lord, connect with your truth in a way, Father, that's impactful in our lives. Father, thank you for what we're learning. Thank you for the things that, that we know, things that we've heard. But Father, help us now, your Holy Spirit in us, both to will and to do, Lord, to follow through to not just hear your word and, and, and then forget about it or, be a, or become a forgetful hearer, but, Father, to be a doer of the work, Father, to do, Lord, and follow through on what you are speaking to us collectively, but also, Father, things that you have brought to our individual attention in, in here in our time together this evening. Lord, next steps, next steps. Holy Spirit, show us next steps that we need to take in response to you and to the Word of God. You're trying to help us grow. You're, 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 you're wanting to help us d develop and mature and grow out of some things that have been tormenting us for years. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that we're not going to hear your voice and resist you, but we're going to hear, our, hear your voice and, and 
submit to you and follow through on what you've called us to do. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, know that you're loved. Thank you so much for being here this evening. Have a great rest of your week. Uh, I should see most of you first of next week, but if I don't, happy Thanksgiving and good things coming.